All right. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Uh, yeah, so first service, I was a little worried that no one's New Year's resolution was to go to church. But I'm pleasantly surprised this service because it is packed in here. I want you to know, if you had a hard time getting a parking spot or finding a seat, 830 has a lot of room for you. And we would still love for you to fellowship with us. Uh, yeah, okay. But, you know, I, I love this, uh, this weekend. It was really great teaching uh, at the 830 without rain uh, uh, falling on the people listening to me. Uh, we were at the park last week, and yeah, it rained for about half my message on people without umbrellas. Most of us do not own umbrellas, apparently, even after last year in Huntington Beach. And uh, man, that was, that was really cool because uh, this place was crazy. It was crazier than this on Christmas Eve, and you can kind of see some facility challenges. And, and there were some numbers that went along with that, but I was more impressed with the numbers in the rain. People left their homes while it was raining and still decided to come, and there was like 215 of us out there. So that just, that maybe speaks more to me than even what went on on Christmas Eve, because I'm like, look at the hardiness of this group of people just staring me down while I'm talking, like, you know, wrap this thing up? Like, no, no one did that. But uh, I don't know what's worse, the, the zero degree wind this week or the rain last week. I think we lucked out having the rain, not this wind. But, but this is an exciting uh, weekend for us because we're starting a new series here in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you want a Bible, you can go ahead and raise your hand, and one of the ushers will pass one to you. Outside of a short break that we're going to take during the Easter season, we're going to be studying this book all the way through summer. Now, why? Why this book right now? Why are we being so deliberate as we go through it? Well, I prayed last year at a retreat that I take every year as I'm looking into the year. What are we going to study, Lord? What's your direction for us? And I had this impression that there was this phrase, fully devoted, that was for our church community. And that was the reason we stepped into the book of Ecclesiastes. Because look, if you realize life is so short, and in your experience, it's going to be like a breath. Like a breath is going to pass, and then you're going to be standing before the Lord. If you realize, you know, we have that perspective on life, then it makes you think, man, i got to live for God. i got to live fully devoted. i got to hold nothing back. And what does that look like in practice for us as Christians? Well, we're going to find a lot of answers to that question here in our study in 1 Corinthians. This is a book that deals with, like, everything. It deals with divisions in the church and Christian celebrity and sexual sin and marriage and singleness. We're going to talk about gender and various examples of how the faith plays out in our culture around us. The spirit and spiritual gifts, the resurrection. I mean, I'm not stopping short and saying this book talks about everything it feels like. And I love it because it's very practical. It's a lot of practical theology, meaning there's a lot of things we know about God there's a lot of things we Christians believe because of the gospel, the message of Jesus. But how does that translate into how we actually live our lives? So much of that is going to be explained here. And I want you to know, not everything in this study is going to be easy to digest at first. And you're going, man, we just studied Ecclesiastes. I'm ready. I'm ready because that was already difficult to digest. This will be difficult to digest in a different way because what I love about the New Testament authors, including Paul, they weren't writing what they were writing to just be pleasant for hearers, for the listeners. They weren't writing to sell books. Right. 
none of them wrote down this stuff thinking, now we're going to get this on the printing press and I'm going to get 20 bucks a pop for the people that read this letter. No, they wrote it with this pure motive of I want to mature and I want to build up this wily Corinthian congregation. And that's what it was. For context, the Corinthian church that Paul writes to was in an environment not all that different from our urban, suburban environment here in Orange County. They had every form of idolatry, every form of religion, every form of personal indulgence available to them at their fingertips. And they, they had the means, they had the money to actually indulge in all those things around them, sort of like us in Orange County. So the church to which Paul was writing, they were struggling to distinguish themselves struggling to make themselves different than the culture around them because of all the options and opportunities and all the things that were getting marketed at them. Very similar again here to Orange County. We, we struggle sometimes, I don't know about you, to differentiate ourselves, to make ourselves different because of all the things that are marketed at us, all the values, all the opportunities around us. On top of that, this church was very divided, and that was Paul's primary reason for writing this letter in the first place. Now, I'm going to give more background on the letter as we go through these first several weeks, but let's just dive into the introduction here, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. The verses will be on the screens. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift, as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there you have it. That's the introduction to 1 Corinthians. And you're thinking, what in the world are we going to talk about out of an introduction to the letter? But let me just say, this is a tough letter. There's a lot going on in the Corinthian church that Paul has to straighten out, that he's got to address. There's going to be a lot of correction. But in these first nine verses, you can kind of see Paul sure butters their biscuit a little bit here, doesn't he? You know, he, he floats their boat here for a few verses. And he's right to do so. Because the reason that we can have tough conversations, the reason that we can do deep, introspective work that's challenging, that... Uh, maybe at times is rebuking, that, that means that we need to get some things in alignment that are out of alignment. The reason we can enter into those conversations with confidence is because those conversations are predicated, they're built on a foundation of grace, forgiveness, the fact that we're secure in Christ and through his work on the cross. So I want to identify five graces that Paul assigns to the church at Corinth, five gifts that he cites here that we too enjoy today. I want to build us up, as Paul does, so that we can step into the work that we're going to do in the weeks ahead. So let's start where Paul starts. With the first gift, God graced the Corinthian church. Verse 2, 
Paul calls them those who have been sanctified, who are called to be God's holy people. That's the first gift that God had granted that's cited here to the Corinthian church that we also enjoy. Now, what is it to be sanctified? It means to be purified. In a spiritual sense, it means to be free of sin, to be spiritually clean. Now, I recently saw the physical inverse of this. I saw the filthiest hotel known to man. It's called Scheffler's Motel. Uh, and it already sounds filthy, doesn't it? And I'm very sorry if your name is Scheffler, but if you put motel on the end of your name, it's not pretty. Like, it just doesn't evoke, oh, that's someplace I want to go. It's off the 60 in Arizona, which connects nothing to nowhere, basically. Uh, I drove that route four times in the last 10 days, going out to visit my family in Wickenburg, Arizona. And I, and I kept you know, seeing this motel with just miles of dust around it. it. It just kept catching my eyes. So I finally told my wife, like, you got to Google this place. I want to see the star rating. I want to see the reviews. I want to see some photos. Because here it is. It's 80 years old in the middle of literal nowhere. And it's got a sign in front of it that would look real slick in the 1940s. And it's got a pool out in front that's empty, surrounded by a chain link fence. I mean, this has just got to be quite the place to stay. So she looks it up, love Google, love Google reviews. Its rating is much better than it should be. But you can see in the photos what it's like on the inside. You can see the cockroaches that uh, tenants have found. You can see, you know, the black mold that's in the shower, right? You can see that dusty. You, you ever you seen textiles that are so old, like the comforter? It's so old, it's got, like, it's dust. You know, it's just grainy, right? You can see that texture through those photos. That's a 40-year-old comforter. That's a filthy motel is what I'm trying to say. And when we think about our spiritual condition, what we bring to the table with God, we're a bit like Scheffler's Motel. That's what we are. And what I love about the gospel, what I love about what Christ did on the cross is he didn't say, you know what, I'm going to get a little bleach in your life. I'm going I'm to just, you know, apply a little elbow grease to your life, or I'm going to put up some hip wallpaper that covers what's behind those walls. He says, no, I'm going to tear it down, and I'm going to build something brand new. You, you have new ownership. There's new ownership. We're going to tear this down, what it is, and we're going to build it up, and you're going to become the spiritual four seasons. You know, there's going to be a complete remodel. I'm going to turn you into the spiritual equivalent of the montage. What a thing it is to be a Christian. To be someone who has been sanctified, justified, washed clean, though we are still sinners. But that is what we are, what it says here. We are sanctified. It says we will be sanctified before God on the day of judgment. And we are presently still being purified and sanctified as we are called to be God's holy people today. You know, the truth is, as we get into this book, you'll see. The Corinthian church is still living out of Scheffler's Motel. They haven't moved into the new building that God created for them. A lot of them are still living out of the past, out of the filth. And many of us maybe see ourselves in that same place. But they were called to holiness, to become, to step into how God had already viewed them, what God had already made them to be. They had to become what they already are. And that's what God wants for us. There's no such thing as a perfect people. But God wanted to take imperfect people and through the gospel, call them into his holiness and powered by his grace. You know, Jesus talks about the path of following him. He calls it the narrow road. 
He says he's a narrow gate by which people enter into salvation. And that's all true. It's a narrow path. It's a very specific way that we're called to live, the standards of following after Jesus. It's a very exclusive gate, a very specific way to gain access to heaven, to the Father. But it is a wide net of grace for those who walk that path and for those who are moving to enter in through that gate of Jesus Christ. So the first grace Paul mentions here is that the Corinthian church is sanctified and purified. But there's another grace here in verse 2, another gift that's cited, because it's not just them that Paul writes to. He says, I write to all who call on the name of Jesus. So we see God has gifted this church, the church, with unity, oneness, Union amongst all brothers and sisters in the family of God. This is the second gift I see here in this introduction. Now, I talked about this last week at length in my sermon. Everyone who went to the Branches Water Park heard me talk about this. All right? That through the cross, God reconciled us to himself. That's what we emphasize and we talk about a lot, and it's appropriate to do so. But God didn't just reconcile us to himself through the cross. He reconciled us to each other. Jesus himself, he himself is our peace. Our peace with God, our means of maintaining peace with each other. And and we'll get into this in more detail next week. That's going to be part of the topic of next week and many weeks to come. But this gift of unity is worth an early honorary mention because I just love that there was a time when you could just write to the church And it was one. Before denominations and this or that or this group of people and that group of people, you could just say, like, I just write to all those who call on the name of Jesus. And you were just writing to what is, the one single church. But in a way, that's what we still are. In the truest way, that's what we still are. That's the grace. That's the gift of what God did on the cross. We're not 50 congregations in Huntington Beach, 50 different Christian congregations. We're one congregation. We're not 500 different Christian congregations across Orange County. In reality, we're one. We're one congregation. We're not hundreds of thousands of bodies of believers all across the world. We are one body of believers. We're one congregation around the world. And even in this room, we're not 400 different people. Yes, we're 400 different people, but we are also at the same time one. And if it doesn't feel real to us, if that's unreal or inconceivable to us, it's not because it's not real. It's because we haven't caught up to reality. I remember on my wedding day, they pronounced this husband and wife and, you know, smiling and we're going down the aisle arm in arm, my wife and I, Whitney, and we go into the hallway of the banquet hall and we're there embracing each other and You know, we're looking down at our hands and we're looking at our rings and saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. We're married. You're my wife. She goes, you're my husband. Like, this doesn't feel real. Did that really just happen? You know, I want to say, yeah, buddy, that was real. That really happened in that moment. What's going on is I need to catch up to reality. I haven't stepped into the reality that has already come to pass. And I feel like that's the same truth for the church at large. We're still living in an alternate reality. We haven't caught up with our union, how God has brought us together. We've let thousands of years of human behavior work to undo what Christ did. And now for me, I say in my limited lifetime, my breadth of a life, I say I'm ready to redo it. 
I'm ready to live into what Christ did among Christians. Now, to be fair, the Corinthian church was already getting diced to bits with division. So it does remind us that while we have differences and we divide today, that's been happening since the very beginning. But God is always rerouting us to what he has accomplished. It's like your annoying GPS when you miss the turn, right? You enter in the destination that you're headed to. Like, that's where you're going. And if you miss the turn, it goes rerouting, and then now take this left. And you're, oh, wait, uh, when it finally, you know, comes on the screen, you miss that turn too. Rerouting, now turn left. It doesn't matter how far you go from the ideal destination, that GPS is always rerouting you to where you're supposed to go. And it doesn't matter how far in church history we take our divisions as Christians with each other. God will always be, by His Spirit, in His truth, rerouting us to our union. What did Jesus say when He said, you're at the altar and you've got your gift and you're about to worship God with this sacrifice and you remember that you've got something at odds with a brother or sister. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to not worship you're supposed to not offer that gift on the altar. You're supposed to leave it right there and go worship by being reconciled to your brother or sister. And then you come back and you worship by offering the gift. Because there's a more primary act of worship. God is more worshipped in our reconciliation, in our relationships, than he is with this offering of this gift. It's primary because that was the primary work of God. That's the primary work he continues to do through the cross, is bringing us together and making us one. So God graced the Corinthians and us with sanctification, purification, unity. And Paul says in verse 5, God has enriched them in every way with all knowledge and speech. This is the third gift mentioned in this introduction to the Corinthians. And do you know that as a Christian, you have been enriched the same with all knowledge and and speech. You may be wondering, what in the world does that mean, that I've been enriched with all knowledge and speech? Well, what would it mean if you were enriched with wealth in Orange County? What would that look like? Well, it might look like, you know, you got a big old house on some prized real estate. It might mean that you eat a lot of luxurious dinners at fine dining restaurants. It might mean you have a very powerful form of transportation. They can go much faster than the legal limit very quickly. It might mean, you know, that you have access to the finer things. And we're not talking just quality, we're talking quantity. That's what it means to be enriched with wealth in Orange County. Think about what it means to be enriched with all knowledge and speech. It means that you have access to the finer thoughts. You have access to the most luxurious of ideas, the best knowledge, mansions, of wisdom, on the most prized real estate that nobody else can claim. You have access to not just quality, but quantity when it comes to the true spiritual knowledge. And that's what the Word of God, the true words of Jesus are. They are spirit and they're life. They spiritually nourish us. Like when Jesus was tempted in the desert, Right? He's fasting for 40 days, and the devil goes to him and says, Hey, you're hungry. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? And Jesus says, Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. 
Like, I have all this knowledge. I have all this speech. I'm enriched. I don't even need food because this is my food. This is what I eat. It's basically Jesus answering, you know, that time-old question. If you were on a deserted island, what's the one thing that you would take with you? And Jesus goes, it's the word of God, even as he is the word of God. Can you imagine if you didn't have the Bible? Especially for those of you who have been walking with God for a while. Can you imagine if you never had the Bible? None of its truth. None of its teachings. Can you even imagine what life would have been like? What your path would have been like? What your mindset would be like? You know, imagine all you had was that sorry and sad self-help section in Barnes & Noble. That's all you had to navigate life. Imagine that's it. Man... I was 15. I'm so grateful. I was 15 when I found the Bible. And I can remember not knowing anything about it. And I can remember when everything in it sounded foreign. Like listening to people speaking a, a, another language. Like I read the Bible and it's like I'm in France listening to French people talk French. You know, I, I didn't have any access to it. I, I didn't understand what it was, but the Lord was prompting me to press in. And, and I just want to normal. If that's you, if this feels like a foreign language... If you're not picking up on it, if you press in, if you're here, if you read it, if you're taught the Word of God, you will be enriched with all knowledge and speech. You will become wealthy. You will become rich, not in Orange County riches, in something that's more valuable, in spiritual truth. Don't take this for granted. Don't demean this book. Don't think... Oh, you know, it's the Bible. He's up on the platform. He's the Bible, Bible. Just read your Bible every day. I mean, he's a Bible guy. Don't demean this. Don't demean this. Don't miss what the Word of God is. Don't take it for granted. It's like, imagine you had all this money in an account. Easy for us to do. A lot of us think about it a lot. Imagine you have a billion dollars. You, you imagine yourself with $100 million. You just have basically an unlimited amount of money. But imagine you're not accessing that money. You're not withdrawing to pay your bills. And the bills are piling up. And, you know, your stuff is starting to get repossessed. And you're even going to lose your home. And you're going to be out on the street. You know, but there you go. You have the money. You have access to it. But you're not paying your bills. That's crazy. But I feel like for us as Christians, man, there's so many circumstances in our lives. So many challenges that we enter into. Relational challenges. We're going through mental stuff, we're going through emotional stuff, and we're never turning to the Word of God. When we have answers, we have knowledge, we have a path, we have a word, we have a way to go. You know, a Christian who's going through trials and doesn't consult the Word of God, the source of all knowledge and truth that they have available to them, is like someone who doesn't pay the bills with the money that they have sitting in their bank account. This Corinthian church probably only had a few letters, a few oral traditions that Jesus is teaching, maybe a few jotted down on a piece of paper here and there, and they were called rich with all knowledge and speech. How much more are we literate and capable of accessing this word at any time? We are supremely wealthy. Now, these aren't the only graces we are, they received. For Paul says that they had not just been enriched with knowledge and speech, but in verse 7, he says that they 
lack no spiritual gift. This is the fourth gift, the fourth grace, that we have every spiritual gift available to us. And Paul is likely referring to the actual spiritual gifts that we'll talk about much later in this book. As much as he's referring to the all-inclusive gift basket that comes along with being a Christian, the fact that you know, you're free from sin, the fact that you have the resurrection and eternal life before you through faith. And guys, I just love Pastor Paul when I read this book. I, I love Jesus, our good shepherd. When I read the Bible, I love reading Peter. I love reading John. Because you know what they do? They don't make spirituality exclusive. They don't withhold God's presence, the spirit from us. They don't say, man, there's these levels of exclusive membership in the faith that you're going to have to work super hard to move up. They don't say, man, we've got this super spiritual blessing that is the secret sauce. And the rest of you don't have access to the recipe. And if you guessed, you could never even figure it out. They don't, they don't promote this idea like, hey, we've entered through the door, and now we're in the room with God's presence. Why don't you guys all wait out there in the lobby? People do that today. Supposed spiritual leaders do that today. There's spiritual movements that define themselves and promote themselves as spiritually superior to everyone else, which just shows how unspiritual and immature they really are. I think, why do Christians do that to each other? Why do we do that? Well, it's a good marketing tactic. I don't know if you've ever seen good marketing. Good marketing works really well when it makes you feel poor in some way. You know, I've got this truck. I love my truck. It's a great truck. I don't need anything else. Perfectly satisfied with my truck. Then the new model year comes out. And the marketing team shows me a picture of the new version of my truck that I love that I need nothing else. And it has a step integrated into the side of it, the bed of the truck. So I have a tire I can step on, which I step on just fine. But this is two inches lower, which would make my stepping much easier. So this is good marketing to make me feel poor, to make me feel like I had everything in the world, and now suddenly I don't have anything. I don't have anything unless I have that step, unless I have that truck. False teachers will do that to you. Make you feel poor about your spiritual condition and what you have access to so that you buy what they are selling. You know what's beautiful? God isn't selling you anything. He's gifting you everything. God isn't in the business of selling you anything. He is gifting you everything. Look what Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Emphasis on the every. So it wasn't like this is a one-time offer for the Corinthians. This is a common blessing that all Christians enjoy. So do not be made to be insecure because you don't know something. Or because you haven't experienced something in the faith yet. Or because you still struggle with something. That was these guys. That was the Ephesian church. That's every believer that's ever walked with Jesus. But they didn't need something special someone else had. They had been given everything. We've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. When you place your faith in Jesus, he has filled you with his Holy Spirit. He didn't say, I gave you 50% of it. No, go on being filled. 
now that you've received the presence of God in your life. In my hands, in some of your hands, is the word of God. This is it. This is everything that you need to know to walk a fully devoted life with Christ. He didn't keep some stuff out that you've got to go search somewhere to find. He said, I'm going to share with you my heart. I'm going to share with you my mind so you can know exactly what I think about you and what I think for you in your life. Be enriched by it. Don't buy the line. Now, there's another class of Christians somewhere else, and these are some superior gatekeepers out there with access to something that God hasn't made available on the bottom shelf to the most simple of believers because he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. These are the graces, these are the gifts of Christ to them and us. We're sanctified, made one, enriched with knowledge and speech, granted every spiritual gift. And finally, Paul says in verse 8, we'll be kept firm to the end. This is the gift of heavenly security. It's the fifth gift I see here in this introduction. Meaning, it's the gift of the power to keep us saved and sanctified, to keep us purified. It's sure, till we go to be with the Lord or the Lord comes to take us to be with Him. Now, I'll be honest, even as a pastor, I struggle with that feeling of heavenly security from a human standpoint. There are sins I struggle with today that I didn't struggle with when I was 15 years old and first coming into the faith. I wasn't in the stage of life. I wasn't even in the environment to be tempted into such sin. And as I've grown as a Christian, my understanding of what it means to be a real follower of Jesus has only expanded as I've walked with Jesus. So the way that I've articulated to people is I feel like, man, the finish line of perfection in Christ, it's moving further away from me than I'm progressing toward it. So I feel hopelessly, I feel inescapably, I feel disappointingly less than the standard that God has set forth in the example of Christ. But thanks be to God that our security is not from us. The more we look to our own conduct and character for that sense of security, the less we're going to let it into our heart and mind. Paul says we will be kept to the end because God is faithful. He said he would forgive us. He said he would sanctify us. He said he would resurrect us. He said if we're in him, he'll be with us forever. To doubt those realities in our own life is not to doubt ourselves. It's to doubt him because he is the one who's faithful to accomplish those realities. He said he'll do it, and he will. And thank God, because the Corinthians, you're going to find out very quickly, look like a mess. And in our own lives, we look like a mess. But here's Paul's confidence. It's not in them, but in God. What a life. What a foundation of grace. Look what gifts we are building upon. The only thing you can say is just praise be to God. What do you do when you get a gift on Christmas Day and it's a great gift? What can you do? You thank. You feel praise. You feel grateful. I love that that's how we're starting our year. It's not you resolve to do this, I resolve to do this, and we're going to do it better. It's something God did. It's something he accomplished that we're going to live out of. Not even get to. It's already here. It's already here for us. The problem for me, and I think for many of us, is that it's hard to let it sink in. It's hard to let it sink into our heart and mind. It's hard for this to matter to us. I, I really believe that a lot of people, myself included, are very inclined to the negative. 
Somebody says something negative to us, and it just rings like a bell in our imagination. Mm, it's a gong. You know, you, just, you can live in that negativity. And then somebody will speak all these kind words to you, and you're like, yeah, I'm moving on. You know, it's just out the other ear, right? That's what I feel here. God has done these amazing things. He's gifted us, sanctified us, made us one, given us this knowledge and speech, given us every spiritual blessing, and he's going to keep us firm to the end. And we're like, yeah, okay. Now what? Now what? I was praying through this, and I had this picture come to me as I was praying this week about how difficult it is and how much work it takes to build something, but how easy it is to demolish that same thing. Very easy to demolish something, very difficult to build something. We did this painting class uh, for my mother-in-law, her birthday. So as a family, we went to this painting class. Painting is very hard. I don't know. You guys agree with me? Most of you are like, I could never in a million years. Even painters in the room are like, yes, thank you. What I do is very hard. I'm very good at what I do. Very difficult. It takes an incredible amount of focus. You mix the colors a certain way. You got to use the right brush. When you're using the right brush, you got to use the right technique and the texture to make it look just right. It takes hours. It takes days. It can take years, depending on the level of masterpiece. Do you know how quickly I can ruin a painting? Put a little red paint on a paintbrush. <laughs> Ruined. I could take a Rembrandt and make it worthless. It wouldn't take me long, 10 seconds. Throw the paint on it. Done. You know how difficult it is to play music? It's really difficult for me. I'm not good at it. But you got all these people in the band. And they've got all their notes that they got to play, all the right notes. And they got to stop at the right times, and they got to start at the right times, and they got to stay in sync. I can ruin that song in five seconds. I can get on that keyboard and I can slam on the keys and I can ruin that entire song in a second. How long it takes to build a building? How long does it take to demolish it? Build a skyscraper? Mm, tear it down in a day with the right explosives, right? And I just think, man, this is how we live our lives. You know, we go through life and the words of other people, the actions of other people, in an instant, can tear down anything that you've been building. Life circumstances, here we have all these graces, all these gifts, all these things God has done, and then something happens in our life, and it's just like, there's the paintbrush, shh, across everything. Our own sin can certainly mar what God has accomplished. But the grace of God is this, and this is what I've been praying into, that that wouldn't be the case any longer. That God would take the paint off the brush that goes to ruin his masterwork. That God would take the sound out of the keys of discord that dominate the music. Whether that's our sin, whether that's the words of others, whether that's the circumstances of life. That he take the boom out of the explosions, right? They would seek to demolish the work that he's building up in his people. And that his work would stand and his work would remain. And that's what would define us. And that's what would be in our heart and mind. And that's what we'd live out of. So I want to just pray for that. I just want to pray that the Lord will work in this time to define us along with what he's gifted us. Would you pray with me? And Lord, I do pray that for my brothers and sisters in this room right now. I pray that they would be defined not by their impurity, by their sin, by their shortcomings. Lord, that they would be defined by the purity that you have gifted to them.
They have been sanctified. They have been purified through what you did on the cross, Jesus. They will be sanctified because they're going to stand before you, God, and they're going to plead the blood of Jesus that washes away their sin. Lord, you have called them to be sanctified. You have called them to be a holy people. Teach them. You're not calling them and beating them down because they haven't lived into it. You're calling them up into something you've already made them to be. We are already pure because of what you've done, Jesus. Now help us to live in the purity, God. That's a gift. That's a grace. We haven't earned it. It's already ours. It's already ours. It's here now. Lord, let's feel it. Let us know it. Lord, we're already one. There's nothing we can do. If we're in Christ, we are one. We can't be two. We can't be divided. We can't be different. We're the same. We have one mind and heart. It's your mind and heart that we're pursuing, that you're working out in us, Lord. The marriages would be one. That the families would be one between kids and their parents. That the community would be one. The friendships would be one, Lord. That we'd practice our unity. That we wouldn't wait to heaven to have fellowship with each other, but we'd have it now. That we'd work together as one. God, that we meet and pray together as one practice what you have already created. We make that unreal reality real because it's real. What you did on the cross. What did you enrich us with all knowledge and speech that we know whatever questions we have about life, where we're going, who we're supposed to be. God, you haven't kept it from us. You want to make us wealthy. You want to turn the most simple-minded of us. God, I'm simple-minded. You want to make us rich with wisdom. Where there's so many people feeling poor, going to the grocery store, not feeling like they have any money in the account. God, you can make them rich with something that's better than worldly riches. You can make them rich with your wisdom, with knowledge, with speech. Lord, speak to us your word. We not think, oh, it's the Bible. It's, it's not just the Bible. It's alive and active by your Holy Spirit, and it can cut through our souls and transform our lives and what we never demean. But we know you grant us every spiritual gift, God. Thank you. The newest believer in this room, thanking their faith to you right now, Jesus, you give them your Holy Spirit. You would hold anything back. You don't need to hold anything back. You want to be with your people. You want to shape our lives. We have access to everything we need. Would we lay hold of it, Lord? And would you keep your firm grasp on all of us? Would we know that security will be with you forever and eternity? And it's not because of us. We can't undo it because it's not because of us. It's because of you. You're faithful. You do what you say you will do. You've always done it, and you'll do it again and again. And so you'll keep us firm to the end. That's something you did, God. That's a gift. That's a grace. So I pray we be in this space this morning just praising you, just thanking you. Or that that would be the one thought we have in our hearts, gratitude, gratitude, praise for what you give to us in Jesus Christ. We do praise you in his holy